Open your Bibles to 1 Peter. We will pick up where we have left off last time I preached. We'll be in chapter 3. 1 Peter 3, we'll read verses 1 through 7. So let me read these, and then we will uh, get into it. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. A few years ago, um, I was eating lunch with my family at a restaurant, uh, and I saw a couple of police officers come and sit down, and I looked at my four-year-old, five-year-old son at that time, and I said, hey, Kai, you see those police officers over there? They're going to get you and take you to jail if you're not good, so you better be a good little boy. And my wife um, immediately looked at me with that look. You remember this. You know the one, the one that immediately tells you you're dumb. Um, (laughs) And she said, honey, the police officers are not the bad guys. You're teaching our son to think that he needs to watch out for the good guys, for those who are here to protect us. And so, head down. Yes, she was exactly right. You see, um, the truth is, I was, I was teaching my son how to relate to police officers, officers and the authority they had with an unhealthy fear that was based on how I related to them for years, or any authority for that matter, for years in my years of rebellion. So my sin had kind of caused me to have this broken bent on how I viewed authority, and I was still carrying that around, and I was ready to give it to my son. And so I repented in that little moment and took my son over and introduced him to the good guys. And <laughs> thank you if you're one of the good guys, and I'm sorry for being a bad guy for so many years. Um, <laughs> But I give this example because all of us, every single person in this room, have in some way, shape, or form, because of our sin, we have a skewed and kind of broken perception about authority. And I know this because I know that all have sinned. All have, as Isaiah said, gone astray. We have turned away, each one to our own way. We have all spurned, at the very least the authority of God over our lives. It started in the garden, this insatiable desire for self-rule, this desire for authority-less living, and it lives on in every single one of us today. Because of sin, we have a problem with authority. The problem with this perception is that it's not biblical. And the scriptures don't put authority in this negative light as something to kind of have to, we just have to deal with and get over, but as a means of God's loving care and design for us. 
So a a few quick words from the scriptures will kind of help us see this. So first, the Bible teaches us that authority originates in the very nature of God, in who God is in in the Trinity. Jesus said in John 8, 28, that he does nothing of his own authority. Nothing. All he does, he does because the Father wills it. So Jesus lives under the authority of God. So it originates in the very being of God. Authority does. Second, all human authority is given by God. So Paul wrote the Romans in 13.1 that there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. In other words, all authority in government, work, marriage, parenting, all authority that exists on earth exists because God put it there. And so Paul says in verse 2 of that chapter, to resist authority isn't to resist man, it's to resist God. Third, all authority has been given to serve God's purposes. Jesus said in Matthew 20, 25, that all authority, that authority wasn't given to lord over people, but to sacrificially serve them for their good. So God gives authority as a responsibility to hold to serve God's purposes. And fourth and finally, submitting to authority then, it's a means of glorifying God. It's a means of honoring God. Peter wrote just a few verses earlier in this letter, be subject for the Lord's sake, to every human institution. And so authority is very biblical. It's for our good. It is God's care for us. And when we honor authority, we honor God. And so in Peter's letter, he's writing to a people living in a land that is not their own. He calls them exiles. They're sojourners. Uh, They're like strangers in their own land. And it's not friendly to their ways. And they're a minority. And it's not really easy for them. And he's writing to help them, as he says in 5.12, to stand firm so that they won't fall away, they won't fall out, but to instead live in such a way so that they don't just get by, so that God is glorified, so that as they're a little band of people living in a country not their own, God is seen through their life. His glory shines through from their lives. And of great concern to Peter as he labors for this in them and helping them do this is how they deal with, how will they live under authority. And so in chapter 2, he looked at authority in government and in the workplace. And now in chapter 3, in our passage today, it's a continuation. He moves to authority in the home between the husband and wife. And so what we're going to see today is that how a husband and wife honor God's authority in their marriage, it's a means of not only enjoying God's design for marriage and His joy in marriage, but it's a means of proclaiming God through marriage. And marriage is a beautiful way to proclaim how good and gracious God is. To show his excellencies. Peter said in 2.9 that that's why we're here. To proclaim the excellencies of Christ. And marriage is a beautiful way to do that. And so that's what I'm laboring for you to believe today. That Christians proclaim the excellencies of Christ by living according to God's authority in marriage. And what we're going to see through these seven verses is five ways husbands and wives honor God's authority in marriage. 
three to wives, two to husbands. So five ways. So let's start with his instruction to wives. Verse 3-1. Wives, be subject to your own husbands. So first he says to submit to your husband's leadership. The word Peter uses here literally means to arrange yourself under, to yield to, to be subject to. And this is the same word that Peter used to describe how citizens relate to authority and government and how servants relate to masters. It's the same word that Paul used in Ephesians 5 to describe how we as the church submit to Christ. And he even says, how members of the church submit to one another. And that submission looks different in each each relationship, but the ultimate reason for that submission in all the relationships that are given, the reason that one is called to submit to human authority in any and every case is not because of the person with authority, but because of God who gave the authority. So we submit to governing authorities because our hope is not in the government, it's because it's in God. We place ourselves under the authority of the church, not because your hope is in the authority, the men of the church, but because your hope is in God. And a wife submits to her husband's leadership because her hope is firmly tethered to God. And she believes God's word that teaches that this is how God designed marriage between one man and one woman. And the man has the primary responsibility, the husband does, to lead the marriage in all of life and godliness. Now, I don't have to tell you, um, this may be for some of you, that this instruction, this word is very countercultural in our day and time. And so often it gets twisted to say something it doesn't even say. One way is that it gets twisted is to say that women are just supposed to be submissive to men. But this isn't what Peter or any other writer of Scripture teaches. Peter says, wives, submit to your own husbands. The relationship he has in view here is one wife, one marriage, one husband in marriage. Another way it gets twisted is that roles in marriage gets equated with worth or value. But difference in function or role does not equate with difference or value or worth. Jesus was not worth less than God because he submitted to God's authority. And neither are wives to husband. Peter is not talking about worth here. A third way this gets Uh, twisted and sometimes dismissed is by making this principle uh, contingent upon the worth or the performance of the husband. In other words, it goes like this. I'll, I'll do this. I'll submit to my husband if he's a good man or a good leader or successful or smart or whatever, right? Look at what Peter's saying here. He's calling wives to submit to husbands that don't even believe the gospel. He's not saying only submit if he's a good and godly husband. No, Peter knows that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Peter knows that even the best husbands, even godly husbands are a mess before a holy God. And he knows, he knows this, that God knew this when he gave them that authority. Right? And so submission to a husband, it's not because the husband is found to be worthy, but because God is worthy and she has fastened her hope upon God. 
So this is the connection that Peter makes in verse 5. This is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. Second, he says to ladies, uh, wives, adorn your life with the imperishable beauty of godliness. Peter writes, verses 3 and 4, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So we live in a world, you know this, we live in a world that craves and celebrates and is obsessed with the outward appearance, right? With hair and jewelry and trinkets, and it's not just for women, but hair and jewelry and trinkets and phones and clothes we wear and how much clothes we have in our closet. And our culture tells us that these things will make us happy and healthy. It, it is the corner of happy and healthy, right? It's the things you have, and this is what makes us attractive. This is what you should pursue. It's the air we breathe, and apparently we aren't the first culture to believe this. Peter is writing to a people where the women of their day, like ours, were tempted to believe that how they looked on the outside is what made them beautiful. That to win their husbands and have a God-glorifying marriage, they needed to look a certain way. They needed the right clothes and hair and skin and on and on. But to, to that, Peter says, no, 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 no. There is a much, a much better God-glorifying beauty to pursue. There's a beauty that's not contingent upon how much you make or how many wrinkles you do or don't have. There's a beauty that is far better. It is imperishable. It's a beauty that will not fade. And he's pointing them to the hidden person of the heart. That gentle and quiet spirit that lives in sweet communion with God. And though the world may not see that as precious or recognize it as such, your husband may not even see that as precious. But he says, in God's sight, who's the one you're ultimately aiming to honor, in God's sight, this is most precious. It is most valuable. It is most beautiful. So remember, he's writing to wives who are living in a difficult situation. Some of them are exiles even in their own home because their husband are not, husbands are not believers. And I don't think he's telling them not to ever braid your hair. I think he's saying that this is the first priority. This is what matters most. He says it's not, going, it's not what's going on on the outside. It's on that inward person, on relationship with God that begins at the heart level. Ladies, there's nothing in your life that is more beautiful, more enduring, more winsome. There is no greater way to adorn your life than to have a heart that has been captivated by a hope in the living God. This is imperishable beauty that will become only more beautiful as you grow older. And this is the beauty that will honor God's reign and rule in your marriage. Third to the wives, he says, fearlessly do good. Peter wrote verses 5 through 6, we pick this up. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. 
So to make this final uh, point, and as an illustration of the kind of woman that Peter is describing, he points back to Sarah, the wife of Abraham from Genesis. So Sarah was a strong woman. She was by no means a weak woman, but she was a woman who was faithful to follow her husband, doing good, trusting God, even when the odds were against her. The passage Peter references here is from Genesis 18.12. It's the only time we see Sarah calling him Lord in the scriptures. And the Lord had appeared to Abraham. They're very old now. The promise of the son has not been fulfilled yet through whom uh, he would bless and all nations would be blessed. And um, Abraham was, was greeted and told that within a year this promise of a child would be fulfilled. And so Sarah is in her tent and she overheard this and you kind of catch this off-the-cuff remark that she mumbles to herself. She says, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? So Abraham likely couldn't even hear her when she said this. Scripture never actually gives a time where she called him Lord to his face. So relax, okay? Um, But I think what Peter is pointing to here, uh, what he's pointing the wives back to in Sarah, is this moment of doubt. This moment when fear and questioning reared its head in Sarah's life. Not only so that we would see this in her life, but so that we would see how God responded to her in this moment. You see, even the smallest of moments, Sarah remembers Abraham as the one God had given her to lead her, to care for her, to lead her into his promises. And even when God's promise seemed now distant, it seemed crazy, there's no way it's going to happen, she kept trusting God. And we know this because they had Isaac. But it didn't mean she never questioned didn't mean she never feared but you remember what if you remember this story what did God say to her when she says now now how can this even happen remember what the Lord said to her when she said can God do this can he fulfill his word will he the Lord responded to her fear in Genesis 18 14 by saying is anything too hard for the Lord Is anything too hard for the Lord? And you see, the truth is, ladies, here's the thing uh, for those of you who are wives. As you entrust yourself to God by submitting to your husband and continuing to do the good God has called you to do with your life, what will come to mind is this question. Will God come through? Will God do what he said he would do? Can I trust God in this? I see this man. Can I trust God in this? What will come to mind, what you'll hear in your ears, is all the wisdom of the world that says that'll never work. You're a fool. You'll get taken advantage of. And Peter says to that, no, ladies, look at Sarah. The God of Sarah is your God. Don't listen to those voices. Keep your eyes on God. Keep doing good. Do not fear what could go wrong. He says, do not fear anything that is frightening. He says, but trust that God has you in this. God has you in this. And God is faithful. And He will take care of you. His eyes are on you. God has you. Now to husbands. 
Turning now to husbands, the first instruction Peter gives husband, husbands for honoring God's authority over their marriage is the call for husbands to know their wife. Husbands, know your wife. Peter says, verse 7, live with your wives in an understanding way. It literally means to live with her with all knowledge. And though I think you could uh, mean that, make this include all knowledge, the role God has assigned to you and the purpose of your marriage, it certainly has the big picture in mind. It doesn't exclude those things. But because Peter is aiming his words on how a woman, how a wife is to, a husband is to, re- to relate to his wife specifically, I believe the priority Peter has in mind here is a knowledge of his wife. An intimate, caring, attentive Paying attention, discerning, knowing of his wife. And this was very countercultural in their day when women were often seen as second class citizens. But as many, in many ways, even still today, um, this is very countercultural. Even today, there's this stereotypical kind of macho male I don't need to know about your feelings and your needs, I don't need to pursue you. You just let me do my thing and remember I'm a dude. Okay, there's that kind of thing today. And then it's this blunt, careless, authoritarian, and sometimes even kind of absent leadership. And Peter's words here, they guard us against such thinking. Now, it's important, a little side note to note here, that Peter, nor any other writer of scriptures, ever tell husbands to take it upon themselves to make a woman to submit. Never. Not once. No, after telling wives how to relate to their husband in submission, he doesn't say, husbands, make sure she does it. He says, husbands, live with her with all knowledge. Know your wife. And what's the purpose of knowing her? It's not so you can fix her or chart her out or get her to do what you want her to do. No, you know her so that you can know how to lead her. So that you can know how to care for her. And love her so that you can know in what ways you should give yourself to her. And you can give yourself to her to make her thrive as a child of God. You know, Paul told the Ephesians in chapter 5 that that's what your role of authority looks like in your marriage. It's not one at all, zero of dominance. It's one of giving and of sacrifice. It's laying down your life for her good. So you do, you, you do this so that she might grow into the splendor of all God created her to be. And then to do this, if I'm going to do this with my wife, if you're going to do this, You have to know your wife. You have to pursue her and know her so that you can know how to lead her. This is the first way you honor God's authority in your marriage, men. Know the one he has given you to lead. Second, Peter says to honor her. Husbands, honor your wife. We pick this up uh, there in verse 7. Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So the word Peter uses here for honor means to show the value of, to revere, to live in such a way as to show how precious she is to you. And one of the reasons he says to do this is because the woman is the weaker vessel. 
Now again, this is where it's easy for us to kind of veer off course and make this mean something that it doesn't mean. Peter is not talking about her mind or her character or her godliness or her worth or anything like that. This statement is not about superiority or inferiority or intellect or any of that stuff that it gets twisted to being made about. This is a very general statement about physical strength. And this makes sense. Generally speaking, for the most part, Men are physically stronger than women. Now, I have no doubt there's one of you ladies in here that can take me out. I get it. I, I know there's exceptions, but generally speaking, this is the way it is. And the point Peter's after here, don't get sidetracked about that, is that husbands are to honor their wives with their strength. So husbands, you not only don't take advantage of the role and authority God has given you, but you also don't take advantage of her with the physical strength God has given you. Uh, Both of those say this, you do not relate to your wife by dominance in any way, shape, or form. No, you take your strength so that you can show how precious this woman is to you. So that you can honor her. You can serve her. You can care for her. You can guard her. You can protect her. You can show the immense value you have for her, how precious she is to you with your strength. And not only that, but you honor her, Peter says, because she is an heir with you in the grace of life. In other words, though God has given you a responsibility of authority in your marriage to lead your marriage, do not forget that she is a daughter and an heiress of the high king. The imperishable inheritance that is yours in Christ Jesus, it is equally hers. She is not a second generation heiress to you. She is a co-heir to Christ. And how you relate to her, how you lead her, should be a means of her greater enjoyment of her inheritance in Christ Jesus. So husbands, you honor your wife as a daughter of the king of kings. And when you do this, this is the connection he's going to make here. When you do this, you honor God. So look at the end of verse 7. Peter gives the result of husbands living with their wives in this way. He writes, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Men, listen to me. There's hardly anything more serious that can be said to you than God is not going to listen to you. God will not hear you. And see, what Peter is saying is, your relationship with your wife is directly connected to and affects your relationship with your God. When you married her, two became one, And that was a supernatural work of God before God. And though you are two distinct persons, you can no longer separate how one relationship impacts the other. She is a part of you. She is a part of your relationship with God. And so your relationship with her directly impacts your relationship with God. And when you fail to honor your wife and lead her the way God has given you to lead her, what Peter is saying is that you do damage to your relationship with God. Your conversation with God is broke. It's hindered. You've put something in the way of it. He's not listening to you. And this is a dangerous place, men, to find yourself. 
So as you love and lead and care for your wife that God has, the way God has called you to, you are caring for, you're cultivating, you're obeying God, so you're cultivating relationship with God. And you're doing that so that together, so that the marriage, so that together you might both flourish under the reign and rule of God as his children. That's your aim. That's what you're leading your marriage to, husbands. And so, words to wives, words to husbands. Let me offer one final word to both husbands and wives. Marriage is not easy. I love marriage. I've loved it since day one, but it doesn't mean it's easy. And this passage helps us see it's nothing short of laying down your life for another. It's It's nothing short of that. It's not you give 50 and I give 50. It's both go all in, give everything you have, lay down your entire life for another. And you wake up and you do it day after day after day. You do it every single day of your life. So let me, let me encourage you in this. Every day of your life, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look at him as your savior and look to him as the one who showed you how to live in this kind of love under God's authority. Wives, think about this. Jesus willfully placed himself under the authority of man. A holy and perfect God came in the flesh and placed himself under the authority of sin-filled, imperfect men. He willingly put himself there because his trust was in God his Father. He showed you. He showed you what it looks like. So look to him, not just as your Savior, but look to him as your example. And when you fail, he will have you. He will lead you. He will encourage you. He will help you. He is the one that you are ultimately entrusting yourself to as you look to your husband and follow him. Jesus is the one you are trusting. And husbands, Jesus is the one, think about this, he had all authority. He had all power. He could have done anything he wanted. But what did he do with his power, his strength, and his authority over us weaker vessels? He laid down his life for us. He gave all that he had, even his own life, for our good so that we could live. And he did it because he loved us, and he did it because his trust was in God, his Father. And so husbands, you can look to Jesus to know what to do. To know how to lay down your wife and love her as Christ loved us. He is the one you are following. He is the one you are trusting as you lead your wife in this way. So both husbands and wives today, I want to encourage you, no matter where you find in yourself, yourself in marriage, if you can trust Him to save your soul, you can trust Him with your marriage. Some of you need to hear today, if you can trust Him to save your soul, you can trust Him to save your marriage. You can trust Him to resurrect your marriage. To make it glorious and good and joyful in Him. Today the call for all is to look to Jesus. Put your faith in Him. Trust Him and follow Him and believe that His Word is true. It will be life for you. It will be life for your marriage. And it will show just how excellent and glorious Jesus truly is. Let's pray.
Father, we need you. We need you in our marriages. We need you to set our eyes upon the cross of Christ to where we saw ultimate love, we saw the greatest love that was ever shown. And by your cross, we have life. And by your cross, Lord, we will live. God, please, will you help us today to center our marriages in the gospel of Jesus Christ? To learn what it looks like to by faith in you and by just a a hope in you to love as you have called us to love, to honor your authority in our marriages the way you have called us to because you're faithful and you are good. God, some today, they just need to put their faith in you for the first time. They need to confess Jesus is Lord, his word is true, he is life, and I need that life. Some today, God, there are no doubt there are marriages in this room that are hurting, they are broken, and they need to come to you, lay themselves before you, let only you do what you can do. You are the God who saves. God is able. You are able. So God, today, wherever we find ourselves, will you make the gospel rich in us? Will you help us to have marriages that the gospel is visibly seen? It's understood. It's lived. And God, do this in us and do it through us so that the world may know that Jesus is good. He's worthy. He's excellent. He's above all things. So God, however you want to deal with that in us now, I pray that you would give us the faith to respond. Help us to look to you in faith and take a step towards you in obedience. Be glorified today as we put our trust not in our own efforts or failures, or, but in you and what you have done for us. May we live by faith. May we respond in faith today. Pray all this in Christ's name.